Welcome back to Fear Boners with Andrew, presented by the Down in Front podcast. This week, we're going to talk about a fairly recently released movie that I was actually very excited for until I saw it. And that is Day of the Dead Bloodlines. That's Day of the Dead colon Bloodlines. But before I get into that, I'm going to get into what I'm drinking, what I'm watching, as is tradition with the Down in Front podcast and Fear Boners. Right now I'm drinking some coffee because it's actually relatively early. And as for what I've been watching, there have been a plethora of anthology horror films put up on Amazon Prime for streaming. I've been drilling through a bunch of those, and there's a few that I can recommend right off the bat. Some of them are really great. Some of them are like a little bit iffy, because most of them have a fair amount of directors working on them, different stories, because it's an anthology. So, you know, a couple of them have three or four stories. One of them has like 19 or 20 stories. Some of them are really short. Some of them are like more long format, but they all have great ideas. Even if the execution is shitty, most of these movies have some great stuff to inspire and to, to frighten, honestly, even if it's a little choppy. These movies that I've been watching recently, one is called Minutes After Midnight. There is the Horror Network Volume 1, Fun Size Horror Volume 1, Galaxy of Horrors, and Volumes of Blood, colon, Horror Stories. Uh, you can see that there's a theme there. But yeah, if you have the Amazon Prime streaming service, definitely look them up. I actually just found them by searching for the horror genre or the horror category on there. Um, so if you look, you'll find those five movies, and they're actually quick and easy watches. Galaxy of Horror kind of has a sci-fi bent, but it's definitely a sci-fi horror bent, so that's why I included it. They're all very good. Some of them have some questionable content, because I've watched them so close together they all kind of blend together so I can't remember specific ones to call out but I definitely say give them a watch because again they're quick and easy and they're very enjoyable especially if you are a fan of the horror genre that if you are listening to this podcast I would assume you are but to dial it back a little bit um, what we're here to talk about today is Day of the Dead Bloodlines the original Day of the Dead fun fact has now actually been remade twice and has a prequel of all of the dead movies, the George Romero movies, it has the most derivative sequels, prequels, remakes, counting at three or four now at this point. I've seen all of them. None of them are that good. But this one was going to be particularly important, being that it was essentially the last thing that George Romero worked on before he passed back in 2017. So I was kind of excited to see he had a writing credit on it to see if maybe it brought back some of the social commentary of some of the other dead movies. Because it's very easy to point that out. In Night, for example, it's very much uh, racial relations, racial tensions. Dawn of the Dead is very much consumerism, capitalism. The original Day of the Dead is like the, the military-industrial complex and just mil militarism in general. And Diary of the Dead was basically Romero's commentary on technology, how far it's come, where it's going, what people use it for, which was pretty interesting. And Land of the Dead is fun, sort of like a, a discourse on class, which was great. And then Survival of the Dead was interesting because it was essentially the first take in his universe of what's going on in other parts of the world. So... The further we get away from that, whenever his content is remade or handled by other directors, with the exception of Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead, which is 
still by far one of my favorite zombie movies. Um, Zack Snyder has been really hit or miss, more on the miss end, honestly, but that movie, one of his earlier works, is fantastic if you haven't seen it. Okay, transitioning into the movie that we're here to talk about, Day of the Dead Bloodlines, basically was a real stinker. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to spoil the hell out of this movie, so if you actually do want to watch it, I couldn't find it anywhere. When I actually googled the title of the movie, the first thing that popped up was a sketchy Russian streaming site, so I watched it on there. But right off the bat, you can kind of tell the quality isn't that great. Everything looks like it was shot like it was a commercial. To be fair, though, the one thing I can say about it, it is closer to a remake than the other remake that was made back in 2008, which was almost a completely different movie. Like, this movie starts with people running around in what seems like a beachside community, and the zombie attack is happening, and you can tell there's going to be like a flashback, but there was no alligator bursting out of the one building like in the original Day of the Dead, which was a really cool part. And as for that, the thing that I thought was really weird was... Right off the bat, you can tell there is... A discrepancy in the audio. A lot of the scenes are dubbed awkwardly. Um, some characters are just completely overdubbed. The main character is this girl that we follow. I can't even remember her name. But her accent, there was something off about it. I paused this movie a million times just to look things up to see what, to justify why I was watching it. And also just to be like, well, why is why is this happening now? Or why does this person sound weird? Or like, what's going on? Nothing looked right. And I was like, okay, well, this clearly wasn't, you know, they're trying to make it seem like it was made in America or shot in America, but it, it wasn't. It was actually, weirdly enough, primarily shot in Bulgaria. Um, I don't know what the connection is there. So that's also another reason why you run into a lot of different accents. The main character's American accent is really distracting because it floats in and floats out in some words she doesn't fully mispronounce but you can tell she's trying very hard to force what she would assume would be an american sounding pronunciation of a word there was a specific there was a specific word in that she kept saying i can't remember what it was but it was just every time she said it you could hear that you know she had a, an accent that she was fighting back and i can't remember she she might have been all Australian. There's a couple Australians in the film um, who sort of struggle with getting away with an American accent, which is also a little distracting. But also just the dialogue in general in this movie, it just feels like everybody is walking into odd small talk. Every scene in this movie takes place in an elevator. Like, I have to be with these people for a couple minutes. I guess I'll make, you know, a nice little small talk. But it's not nice. It's awkward. Nobody likes small talk. I mean, I like a little bit of small talk. I'm having a little bit of small talk with you guys right now. Uh, dear listeners, but honestly, none of what these people say to each other really makes sense. There's no clear motivation for what they're doing. Besides the scene where people, the scene, the scene, there's not just one, but the scenes where people are running around, screaming their heads off, trying to get away from zombies. And even then there's some scenes where people scream and the camera cuts over to them and you're like, no, I don't, I don't believe this. Yeah, I don't think you're actually scared. It's not... Now I feel like I'm making it sound worse than it is. But, I don't know. There's just no enthusiasm in some of the lines delivered. It's not very convincing. There's some other troublesome things. Like, most of the men in the film, which there are a lot, it's mostly a male cast, 
as they're introduced, you either find out one of two things or both <laughs> is that they're either just bad actors or they're just straight up pervs. Like some of the lines we were introduced to the one black male character on the cast and he instantly insinuates that if the female lead character goes into the shower, he will follow her in there to help her. It's just really, yeah, the way he delivers the line is kind of troublesome. And then, you know, he's like, oh, no, I'm just teasing, but it's a promise. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like kind of threatening, weirdly, vaguely odd and uncomfortable. And then the other the other female there just kind of shrugs it off. She's like, oh, stop teasing her. It's not a big deal. And <laughs> dialing it back a little bit, less than five minutes into the, or maybe ten minutes into the movie, there is an attempted rape scene that is not fun to watch because we're trying to basically build this this character of the main character and we're trying to sympathize with her or we're trying to give her this motivation and during the outbreak it's kind of becoming obvious that something's happening and we're introduced to this creepy guy who's stalking the main character and there's a fair amount of victim blaming because she works at a, 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 a university, a medical university, and she has to, it's never quite explained, but she has to draw his blood on a regular basis for some test they're doing. And I guess he's supposed to be a janitor at the university, but he's like obsessed with her and he keeps making these passes and she keeps saying no. I guess he, it's insinuated that he asked her out on a date and she shot him down multiple times and then he keeps escalating. And at one point, her professor, her boss is like, oh, it's time to deal with Max again. He's coming in. And she she very clearly says, I'm uncomfortable with him. Like, why do I have to do it all the time? You know, I've told you what what bothers me about this guy, what he does. And she's like, oh, just do it. Like, if you want to keep this job or if you, you know, if you're serious about being a doctor, you'll just do it. And she does it. And the scene is very uncomfortable. And then we find that this guy uh, not only doesn't take no for no, but he also has carved her name, Zoe. I think Chloe, Zoe, one of those into his arm, which we're like right off the bat. We know this guy's insane. Then as she's taking his blood, there's a very uh, uncomfortable conversation about how much he loves her and how he deserves her. And it's, it's just really bizarre. And then her friend, another doctor in training at the university comes in and to her aid sort of, but then just more victim blaming. Cause she's like, you, you really shouldn't let people treat you that way. You shouldn't let people take advantage of you like that. You should really stand up for yourself. This wouldn't happen unless you took a stand and didn't put up with his pervy shit. And it's like, no, he doesn't have the right to, to say that kind of stuff to anybody. It gets really creepy and it gets even worse when later in the movie, we're basically treated to the fact that he replaces the bud zombie from the original day of the dead which is very unfortunate because bud if you know if you are familiar with the other film is the smart zombie is the fun zombie in the other movie where it's sort of built around the fact that he's coming he's not coming back to life but he's retained some of his brain functions so he can kind of communicate he's not always attacking people um but he does have he doesn't have an infatuation, but there's a there's a scientist or a doctor that he's, like, friendly with, and it's kind of this nice relationship, and we sort of sympathize for him because he kind of remembers being human, but he's still undead. And, like, in the original Day of the Dead movie, he's great. His character's awesome. We kind of love Bud. And in this movie, we get a creepy rapist named Max who, even after dying, 
is still obsessed with potentially raping this living girl, and his motivations are beyond strange, and so then hers get really mixed up because once that's introduced and he's kind of delivered to us as the big bad of the movie because he's just constantly going to follow her around, that's where I kind of lost it because she suddenly defends him every chance she gets because she realizes that he's retaining brain function and maybe he's the key to potentially reversing the, the zombie outbreak. But the thing of it is they make such a big point about taking his blood at the beginning of the movie, but that never comes back because they, they revisit the school and that's where this all kind of blows up is between the flashback and the jump forward, it's a four-year period, and she winds up on this army base, and suddenly everybody's got military training, and everybody knows how to use guns, and there's a lot that's kind of glossed over. There's an underground bunker where people live in tents, and it just seems really shitty. But the other major difference between the original and this one is they keep leaving the bunker. The original Day of the Dead, there's way more of a threat of worldwide zombie infestation. In this movie, I feel like they couldn't get enough extras, so they're like, well, shit. This bunker is cool and all, and it's kind of secure, but you don't really get that feeling because they're constantly leaving. They're always going like, oh, we gotta go out on like a mission to collect stuff, or we gotta go get supplies, or we gotta save this person. And it just really takes out that claustrophobic feeling of living underground because it's like they can leave whenever they want. The original movie, the fence was pretty much always constantly surrounded by zombies. Here, it's just like whatever day of the week it was, they were able to get enough people in Bulgaria to come and sign up for free to play a zombie. Now, that being said, the zombie effects and the gore effects in this movie were actually pretty good. The only thing that was kind of annoying was all the blood in the movie came from a blood cannon. You know, if somebody got bit or if someone was killed off scene, there'd just be like a spray of blood that was clearly shot from a blood cannon. There was no subtlety there. It was just shot from a blood cannon. Um, lots of blood-soaked walls, blood-soaked ceilings, blood-soaked faces. It was a very bloody movie, but the zombies looked great. The gore was pretty cool. So you did sort of look forward to uh, people getting eaten. But that's the thing is, like, as much as they try to build up the relationship between the main character and her weird, rapist, obsessed zombie character, the other supporting characters were just very troublesome. Like, for example, to go back to the the one and only other black character that shows up in the movie of any significance, uh, he's introduced and he threatens to follow the girl in the shower, which is very weird, which comes off as this strange European view of maybe this is how American men speak to American women. And it was very weird because nobody thought it was a problem. But it what like if I was in that room, I would say something because it's concerning. But then also he doesn't really have much else to talk about besides sex and sports. So here's here's a black man who has some military training, was in the armed forces, is supposed to be a protector here, but all he talks about is having sex and basketball. And then at one point he is literally presented to us. They're lined up in the cafeteria to get lunch or something, and he's wearing a basketball jersey, an unidentifiable origin, and it just says urban. And I think it has the number 69 on it. So it's literally just a basketball jersey that says Urban, and I thought that was strange. Like, that was the team name or something. But it's it's just a really troublesome movie with a lot of motivations that don't make sense and a lot of different plot strings that they're pulling at that don't really ever come together at the end. But 
the fact that they keep leaving, I'm going to go back to that for a second, because this this team of people that works there, because they claim it's a military base, they don't act like military as much as they act like a SWAT team, and even then, like, a very, like, malformed, non-practiced SWAT team. Like, maybe that's supposed to reflect the fact that they're cobbled together of people who actually didn't have any military training or experience, but they try to also present a bunch of different vehicles as military vehicles, and in one scene, I'm pretty sure it's fairly obvious they're all riding golf carts, but every time they go, like, for example, when they go to the school to try to get medicine for this this person who's ill, every time they're somewhere else in this, like, SWAT-like faculty, and they're searching, and they're, like, it's very tense, or sort of tense, all of their guns have giant mag-like flashlights, and they want this to look really cool, so they use a smoke machine, obviously, to fill the halls or fill the interiors of wherever they're going. And it just, it was starting to give me headaches because it looked terrible. The flashlight beams were all you could see. It was just, and every time they do an interior shot of these people wandering through the halls or doing these maneuvers, it just looked awful. Wow, I feel like I'm picking this movie apart. But really, there were just all these things that were just very not well done about this movie. And it's a shame that George Romero was on here with a writing credit because it really didn't feel like he wrote anything in this film the dialogue was bad some of the plot points were were interesting and the fact that i was picking apart the 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 reason that they were leaving the bunker but the one prevailing fact was originally because this girl was presenting with flu-like symptoms and they didn't want the flu to spread throughout the entire bunker, which, true, if anything's going to kill you faster in an enclosed environment with dwindling supplies and barely any medicine, it's going to be the flu. So that is a good reason to leave the bunker. But besides that, it didn't really feel like anything had the touch of Ramiro. The zombies, they were running zombies, they were fast zombies, they were puking zombies. Like, those aren't Ramiro zombies. So it's, it's bizarre, because they also refer to them as rotters. Uh, it almost has a Walking Dead feel, because I know they don't call them rotters on there, but they have a nickname for them. And so there's one scene that sticks out to me in particular where she, the, the main character is trying to defend her plan to examine Max, the rapist zombie, because he's the, the one that's going to save them, rather than while they were there securing his blood samples, because apparently the difference in four years doesn't really matter, because he was just waiting there for four years for her to come back. But she's trying to defend this plan that she has to the the weird he-man woman-hating sergeant guy who you still don't even know if he has any military training or if he was in the military he just acts like he's president of everyone and kind of sucks but he also just has no respect for women or other people in general so she's telling him her plan and telling why her plan is smarter than his and why he needs to trust her and give her the leeway to do this and the resources to do this. She says the word rotter four, five, maybe six times in less than 30 seconds. And it was the word, like, if you typed this line out on the script or wrote it down or ad-libbed it and said it once or read it once, you would have been like, okay, wait, I need to fix that. But no, it made it to the final cut of this movie and it's really distracting. Another thing, to go back into the the character dynamic, we're later introduced to uh, two brothers, one of which is the main character's boyfriend, significant other, in the, the underground bunker, and the other is that the scary commander guy who is in charge of everybody but kind of treats everybody like shit. 
They are definitely supposed to be two Latino brothers, Miguel and uh, Baca, but they were definitely casted as two very, very white dudes. One of them, I believe, is even Australian. And it's just really bizarre. I don't know, because there's so many things... I know I've said it before, but there's so many things that come off in that movie as this... It's almost as if it was written or produced by someone who lived their entire life in Europe and had never actually been to America, but formed their idea of what America is based off of pop culture and media. It comes off very much like that. And so, overall, the plot of this film, the story of this film kind of resolves very similarly to the original, which, like, I can't fault it for that. A remake should be, if anything very much like the original. And it does. You know, shit goes down, plans fall apart, zombies get in, people get eaten. But even then, it's not good. There's the part where the the rapist zombie follows them back to the base, and it's really troublesome because after the break into the university to try to get the medicine, he finds her. She doesn't know who he is right off the bat, but then she drops something, like an article of clothing falls off of her somehow. And every part of the scene, the zombie, the rapist zombie is carrying it with him and he's smelling it. And it's just so uncomfortable. Like he just stops and he smells it and then suddenly he can smell her and he's like chasing her around. And then when they're leaving, he grabs onto the bottom of a car or one of the golf carts and rides it all the way back to the base. And he's running around in front of people. Like, these scenes aren't even shot well. He's running around in front of people who can clearly see him, but they don't do anything. Or it's supposed to convince you that nobody actually saw him. And it was just really bad, because then he's just wandering around, and he's trying to find this girl, and he eats a few people, um, and he's crawling... There was a, a few cool scenes where he's crawling around air ducts, and he does eat a dude in the air duct, and that part was kind of cool. But other than that, he's just, he's a terrible character. And also, he can, like, there's a few scenes where he just straight, like, I know he's, I know he's retained some of his brain function, and he's very, he's a very high-functioning zombie, but there's scenes where he just straight up opens doors, grabs the knob, twists it, opens a door. At that point, it's like, that's not a zombie anymore. This is dumb. If he can not eat people or if he can choose certain things but then the fact that his body works well enough that he can open doors it's just it's kind of ridiculous but then by the end of the movie after all this ridiculousness we get this wonderful little montage where she's trying to develop a cure from his blood after pretty much everything everybody else gets eaten or at least bitten like I was really hoping it was getting to a point where the zombie mob had taken over the base. Um, and once they're all in there, because again, there's not a lot of extras that play zombies in this film. So it's not really that threatening, but once you see them sort of like a handful of people flooding into the underground base, which is funny because sometimes you see a couple scenes back to back where you're like, wait, we already saw that guy. Oh, they just used the same extra again. He's just a little bit different. They put a little different shirt on him, but that's the same zombie we just saw run in there. People getting bitten left and right. I thought it was going to be like the end of the original where you just see like suddenly it gets really quiet and there's just like zombies wandering around everywhere and you realize they have to abandon the base. But no, there is a montage of a really hardworking Zoe 
using lab equipment and there's a monologue where she's explaining how she feels and what they've gone through and it's you realize she's reading like a journal so this is all almost postscript but (laughs) this is the part that's the most troublesome for her for me because she's slipping in and out of her accent some of the words are being really poorly mangled with her attempt at american accent and yeah it just it gets to a point where she starts talking about how suddenly she's developed a cure for the zombie plague and you know it ends on this weird sunrise moment where she basically like it's zooming out and you see the country and you see it looks really beautiful but you're like that's that's nowhere that's nowhere usa that's totally bulgaria and it she closes it on um now we're free and happy to love again and it's the lamest closing line ever because there is this sort of theme where and i think the significance that they were trying to draw from that line was because in the moment where the the attempted rape happens at the beginning of the movie it's very traumatic and it's very fast and all these terrible things are happening at once to the character and she references it a few times and there is a there is a scene where she's trying to make love with her partner one of the the white latino brother guys and she just can't because she has a flashback to it even four years later it's affecting her but now that she's been through all this and max is i think he's dead by the end of the movie i can't even remember yeah yeah yeah. he gets killed by the end of the movie finally and it's very anticlimactic and she's developed this cure and everything's going to be okay and they're going to live in the bunker and be happy again and you know zombies don't matter anymore that she's just cured and she's fine she can do whatever she wants and that's what she needed and it's this line that's delivered and it's like very soft and it's just very happy and there's like the sun and everything and then all of a sudden the credits kick in and i don't know i didn't look up the band but it sounded like Rob Zombie, Power Man 5000, Static X had like all got drunk at a party and had like a weird three way baby and out popped this music because it just kicks in. It's just like like butt rock crazy after she delivers that line. And it was the best delivery because, you know, it's getting all soft and flowery and then it just ruins it. And it's the great shitty ending to a shitty, shitty movie. I would probably say. I could not recommend this movie. I would say if you're going to waste your time, waste your time going back and either watching the original, which wouldn't be a waste of time, or uh, go and watch the remake of Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's only good movie. I don't know if I want to say that, but it might be true. Yeah, any of the other Dead movies, watch George Romero's old work. He was a master of what he did, and we'll miss him, but... His influence will be in a lot of these movies going forward. The major misstep of this film, Day of the Dead Bloodlines, is the fact that there is literally no commentary. There's nothing to be taken away from it. Like I was saying previously at the beginning, all of Romero's other movies had something to say, whether it be about race, whether it be about class, whether it be about religion or what have you. He was always considering that stuff he wanted to make a statement with his films they weren't just zombie movies even his later works that are kind of silly and fun hollywood films still had a message this one does not have that at all so yeah um this is my first fear boner basically saying don't watch this movie go and see some classic movies instead i can't recommend this film
If you have another opinion, definitely reach out to us and let me know. If you did enjoy this film, please let me know. We do love hearing from our fans and listeners. So, dear listener, if you have something to say, if you disagree with me, or if you have other comments on the zombie genre, or if you have other George Romero movies to recommend, feel free to reach out. Uh, And with that, as always, thanks so much for listening. This has been Fear Boners with Andrew, presented by the Down in Front podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to us or learn more about what we do, find past episodes, you can find more information on Facebook at facebook.com backslash downinfrontpodcast. You can email us directly at downinfrontpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. You can find us on there. Uh, We do also have the Gamescast. You can watch from time to time. We do have some clips up there as well from past plays, and that's on twitch.tv backslash downinfrontpodcast. We also tweet, 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 tweet all the time. You can find us there on Twitter at underscore D-I-F-P. And then, dear listener, if you do enjoy what we do, we do it for absolutely free. We do it because we love movies. We do it because we love you guys. Um, and we love this little thing called podcasting and it would mean the world to us and make it that much easier if you felt like contributing. Um, and you can find out more information about that at patreon.com backslash down in front podcast. Every little bit helps even a dollar a month, whatever you feel like contributing. We really, really appreciate it. So thanks so much for listening. As always, fear boners will be back sooner rather than later and we will spook you then. (laughs) 